the 25, and I'm not going to go through all 25 of them, but if you want some pretty, I, I don't know what the word is, sick reading, uh, read <clears throat> these tyrants who lived over the ages, and not only the millions that they slaughtered and killed, but in many cases the pleasure they took in doing so. we we'll just, we'll just hit a couple of them. Doug, start throwing those up there. Uh, first is, of course, well, this, this is, it was a list of 25. Actually, Adolf came in number three on the list down to number one, the worst. Uh, Adolf Hitler, of course, infamous leader of Germany, responsible for the deaths of over six million Jews and countless millions in World War II. His lust for power knew no ends and eventually killed himself. By the way, you'll meet his mother, not in person, but in the screen in a few minutes. His mother described him, um, uh, well, he was an art student. He was a very uh, likable young fella and uh, grew up in a Christian home. Yes, and claimed to be a Christian throughout the war, actually. Uh, go to the next one, Doug. Uh, we have uh, Joseph Stalin. Uh, Joseph Stalin uh, led Russia uh, if, uh, for many years and was responsible for the murder of between 20 and 30 million people. Uh, Stalin's leading of of Russia was ruthless, and if you disagreed uh, with any of his policies, you were imprisoned and sent to war camps. You'll meet his mother in a few minutes in a picture. Uh, Her name was Kataran, and she was nicknamed Kiki, which is interesting. She described Joseph Stalin as a very sensitive child who loved flowers. Interesting, isn't it? Go to the next one, Doug. Next you have uh, Mao Zedong, uh, the leader of communist China for many years. I believe he was a gentleman who met with Nixon over in China uh, the, uh, in, while Nixon was president. Uh, this was a bloodthirsty uh, tyrant who led communist China in one of the most repressive regimes that ever was out there. Go, go to the next one. Uh, you have uh, Himmler, uh, which was the head of the SS, and uh, he kind of orchestrated the final solution for Hitler, uh, orchestrated that final solution and uh, carried out the actual murder of those six million Jews. When do you wake up one day and become these kind of men? Do we have any more? Oh yeah, yeah. He was, uh, now he looks rather sophisticated, but uh, his last name was Dracula. Pronounce the first name again. Vlad, Vlad Dracula. Uh, his, uh, his horrific acts took place uh, in the 1400s, and he was known as Vlad the Impaler because his favorite way to murder was to impale. Uh, He got so good at it that he would take the spear, for a while was a dull point, and actually turn it around and oil and make sure it was nice and lubricant, and would run a spear up through very slowly the body of a man, starting in the buttocks and moving up, eventually making it out the mouth. Uh, causing the, the uh, victim to actually sit on the spear and over a matter of days running that through his body and leaving him there and enjoying the process of his suffering. 
Like I say, I had a hard time sleeping last night after some of these. Yeah. Uh, you had uh, such uh, infamous, uh, in, in our age, as Idi Amin, Idi Amin, the butcher of Uganda, dictator in the late 70s. You had Pol Pot uh, in Cambodia, read, led the Cambodian killing fields in the late 70s, responsible for millions of genocide in the country of Cambodia. Uh, you had Ivan the Terrible. You had um, Attila the Hun, who actually ate two of his sons. You had Nero, uh, the horrid um, Caesar of Rome, who killed almost all of his family. Eventually killed his wife. He tried to poison her a couple times, and she recovered. And she, anyway, he just was tired of being subtle about it and sent a man out in a boat to strangle her and dump her in the lake. But there's one that I didn't see on the list of the 25. In fact, you won't see him on any of the list. Because he never murdered anyone. And yet he was the most evil man that has ever lived. I believe he occupies the hottest point of hell. And his name was Judas Iscariot. Why would Judas betray the Son of God? More horrid than Hitler, more awful than Ivan the Terrible, was Judas Iscariot. To betray the Son of God after spending three years in the presence of perfection and beauty. I have my uh, thought of how, why he did it, and I'm just going to give you this as we move into the passage. And it's basically that Judas wanted to use Jesus Christ for his own purposes. He saw in Christ an opportunity to throw Rome out of Palestine to create a kingdom that he had power in. His desire was never to betray Jesus so that he could be crucified. He never saw that coming. What he believed is that if he pulled the authorities in to arrest Christ, that it would play his hand. It would force him, force him to use his miraculous power, playing his hand to put the Romans down, creating the kingdom that all the Jews wanted. I believe that because when it didn't work out like he wanted it to work out, he hung himself. He killed himself. Not out of remorse for what he had done, but out of remorse that it didn't work. And he didn't get his way. Now think of using the Son of God for your own purposes. Still goes on today. Look at it with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, as we study John's rendering of this man, Judas. It is a fascinating set of verses beginning in verse 21 of the Gospel of John, chapter 13. In verse 21 of chapter 13, 
Scripture says this. After saying these things, well, what things? The washing of the feet, the imploring of the example of that. I believe until Judas left, Jesus' speech was guarded, saying only what he could say in the presence of Judas. You find that after Judas leaves, he just begins to pour out his love towards these disciples. But up to this point, you have a traitor in the midst and you know it. So after these things, notice Jesus was troubled. It's the Greek word for the rolling of water. One paraphrase has it like this, that he was visibly upset. You ever known someone that you knew exactly their emotional state by their face? Well, Jesus' face was visibly upset, and they knew it. Let's stop and, and think about that for a moment. Here is Jesus who can be touched with emotions. God is not far off out there, stoically watching his creation struggle. He is in the midst of humanity, loving and crying and struggling with us. Feeling the heartache, feeling the emotions. God is not off there, he is here. And he's able to cry and to be upset. So forever banish in your mind a God who cannot be touched with the the struggles of humanity. It says that Jesus was visibly upset. Can you imagine that? The creator, because of one man. And he testified. Now he dropped hints. He had dropped hints. But the hints weren't getting through. So he just comes out and says it. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. There it is. The elephant in the room has been identified. The cat's out of the bag. Jesus just says it. One of you will betray me. The message goes like shockwaves through the group. Reverberates within them. And notice what their reaction is. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Really? Three years? You didn't know? This tells me a number of things. This tells me Judas was very good at concealing his treacherous heart. This tells me the human heart has the ability for months and years to conceal a heart that is evil. It really can. The old question is, how do you really know really anybody? Well, I'd like to know that you can know. You know, I've got friends. I'd I'd like to think they're not going to stab me in the back. So for my sanity, I'm going to believe that they're my friends. But in the end, how do you know what's going on inside of them? A little scary, isn't it? This tells me Judas could hide it and hide it well. You know not everyone in the fellowship is there for the fellowship. You know that. Not everyone within the church is there for the right reasons. And they may lay for years and years. 
When the opportunity comes, the heart is revealed for what they were always there for. The question isn't if you're in church. The question is, why are you here? Because why you're here would determine how long you stay here and how well it goes within the fellowship of a body of believers. Well, Judas could hide it well, but it finally came. This also tells me something about Jesus Christ. In all those three years, never one time did he ever treat Judas different than anybody else. That's amazing. He knew it when he picked him. Did he not? He knew he picked a traitor. And yet for three years, the love that he displayed toward his betrayer was the same love that he had for John and Peter and Andrew. That's amazing to me. Never one moment did he roll the eyes. Never one moment did he shoot a side glance to Judas and go, man, I know you're going to get me in the end. Never. Notice the love of the Messiah for his creatures, even those who are going to betray him. He loved Adolf Hitler. He loved Jeffrey Dahmer. He loved Joseph Stalin. He even loved Dracula. Because the love of God knows no bounds for his creation. And he loves us like that. Never. Did he treat him any other way? They, they were clueless. They were clueless. There were men in that group that would have killed Judas right there at that moment if they'd have known. Didn't know it. Notice verse 22. John identifies himself finally. We're in the 13th chapter of the book, and finally John identifies himself as the author, but he still doesn't. Look at verse 13, or verse 23. One of his disciples, notice, whom Jesus loved. It does not say one of the disciples who loved Jesus. It says whom Jesus loved. Never be discouraged by your lack of love for Jesus Christ because you have none. You have none. The great lover of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Now, as Christ is in you, there is love for the Savior, but none of that originates with you. Well, never be discouraged. My mom came to me years ago. She said, I can't muster any love up for Jesus, and I'm so disheartened by it. And I said, Mom, He loves you. That's all you need to think about. We are those whom Jesus loved. Yeah, but you know, I know me. Yeah, he knows you too. In fact, he knows you better than you know you. And the fact that he knows you better than you know you, I'm, I'm on a bad night's sleep. I'm going to try this. He knows all the bad stuff and all the bad thoughts and all the bad moments and the terrible reactions and the hideous stuff that we do and are and all that stuff. And he just loves you to the extent of infinite love. There's no measure of his love for you. Amen. The basis of that love is his love for you. Isn't that beautiful? The disciple whom Jesus loved. And he never says his name. 
He never says, oh, by the way, that's me in the book. Because when there's the love of Christ operating in a human being, they're the last person they think of. They are never offended. How can they be offended? They, they just didn't even know they were present. You ever try to insult somebody and they don't get it? You can say to that person, they're in, they're not insultable. You can't hurt their feelings. Because anyway. Look at verse 25. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus. Oh, we missed 24. And Act 23 says he was reclining at the table at Jesus' side, probably with his head on his shoulder or chest. Verse 24 says, So Peter motioned to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. This was just by the reading of the lips, by, you know, ask him, ask him. Notice it says, So that disciple, again doesn't reference his name, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Notice, Lord, who is it? Literally, Lord, who? Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, all the disciples begin to talk at this point, and they're all asking him, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They're all saying, is it? In fact, Judas finally at the end goes, is it me? But not John. John never says, is it I? Because he knows it's not him. He asks who it is. See the difference? The, 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 the believer who knows Jesus loves him never questions his own betrayal of Christ. Are you following me? All those other disciples were worried about their love for Jesus, and so they were like, is it I? Am I going to fail? Am I going to fail? Never question, Christian, if you're going to fail. You are going to fail. In fact, that's all he expects from you is failure. That's why he is who he is and why he loves you like he does. And the, and, and the quicker you give away any kind of human effort to pull this thing off, the more you realize how much Jesus loves you, and you'll never say, is it me? Never again. I heard a good statement on a Facebook post. It said, preach law to those who are still trying to pull it off. Preach grace to those who've given it up. That's good. I'm preaching grace to you because I think you all need to give it up. Amen. Notice what he goes on to say. So, so, he, so he says, Lord, who? Who is it? And Jesus said, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. There's two things I want you to know in this moment. For the host for the host of a dinner in this culture, for the host to take a piece of bread and dip it in any part of the meal and give it to an individual was a sign before the entire group of his love and honor of that person. You see that? It was a sign of his love and honor. The second thing I want you to see is what he used to dip and what he dipped in. He used a piece of bread or that unleavened bread. He dipped it in the sop. 
The sop was a mixture of bitter herbs with a horseradish type sauce in it. Given enough of it, tears would come to your eyes. If, if the bread pictured the body of Christ broken, and Jesus took a piece of that bread, dipping it in the sop, his body dipped in the bitterness of sin and offered to Judas. If Judas put that in his mouth, tears would come to his eyes. It was as if Jesus was saying, here is my body. Put this in your mouth. Do your eyes, do, not, do, do they not weep for the sacrifice of my love for you? What a moment. You'll see in a minute, he never puts it in his mouth. He takes it. He said he took it in his hand. In fact, he took it in his hand, and when he had taken it in his hand, after Jesus says something, he walks out into the night. What does he do with the piece of bread in his hand? What does he do with the piece of bread in his hand? Listen to me. I believe when he stepped out that side of that thing and walked past the garden, he did this. Casting away the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to receive him. Does not the broken body of Jesus Christ break your heart and bring tears to your eyes? Is it nothing to you that Christ died for you? Take it off the print of a page. Take it off 2,000 years ago. Because when he died on that sacrificial cross, he was crucified for you. As if you were the only human being in all existence, he died for you. Back to the story, notice it says in verse 26, So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, notice, not eaten the morsel, it says Satan entered into him. Satan did not enter into him until he had taken the morsel, refusing to put it in his mouth. Take the morsel, put it in your mouth, weep for the body of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Satan would never have entered him. This man was responsible for the sin of betrayal. This man occupies a hot place in hell and deserves it by the justice of God Almighty. He owns the responsibility for his decision to reject Christ and to betray him. For what? 30 pieces of silver? Satan entered in. Notice, Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. I know what you're going to do. Now do it! You have rejected the morsel. It drips in your hand. You'll throw it in the garden. Do it! Don't delay. 
Judas played a part. Jesus had to be betrayed. And yet he was free of his will to choose not to do that part. Have no sympathy in your heart for Judas as if he was a player, a part in a play that had to be played out. He was not. He chose to do this thing. And Jesus said, play the part. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. (laughs) Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, "Buy, buy what we need for the feast. The treasure he was of the group. Notice others thought, or that he should give something to the poor. I take that was a normal practice of Jesus as one who owned nothing to give to the poor. Isn't that interesting? He didn't take into the ministry to buy yachts and mansions he took in to give to the poor. This was his practice. That's why they mentioned it. Verse 30. One of the most saddest moments in all of Scripture, in all the world. Notice, so after he receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. You better believe it was night. To walk away and toss the body and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the offer of his love brings nothing but the night. It just does. most evil man that ever walked the face of the earth was not Adolf Hitler. was not Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong. It was not Attila the Hun or even Dracula. It was Judas Iscariot. Let me run through this. Constitution. What's Constitution. It's what lies down deep. Constitution determines the decisions of our lives. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Because your original constitution in Adam is sinful and rebellious against me. And every decision, good or bad, apart from Christ's life within is a decision away from God. You must be born again because you're born first time lost and apart from Him. Your constitution is wrong. All decisions are based on what's going on way down deep in you. When a person is saved, the life of Christ comes in and alters eternally the constitution of a man or woman. They are never the same again. They may not make all the right decisions, but the overall in life, they're making the decisions based on that life within. And if you make a decision in violation of that life within you, you'll know it right away. You know you're in sin because the constitution has been altered within you. That life way down deep. Second of all, decisions determine conduct. The decisions that you make all the time decide how you will behave. Everything is twice created. Before we sinfully behave, at times we have thought through that process. Every time I've yelled at Karen, I've thought about yelling at Karen. 
And after I've yelled at her, I thought I shouldn't have thought about yelling at her. Every time we violate the constitution of Christ within. Now, if you don't have Christ within, you have Adam. You have the old nature. And by means, go ahead and sin. It won't bother you unless you hurt somebody or yourself. Unless you got a shred of conscience left. But your decisions affect conduct. Judas, Judas absolutely decided because he did not believe on Christ to actually go and betray the Son of God to the religious authorities. And lastly, constitution determines your destiny. What's way down, you don't need more, you don't need more Bible teaching. You need to be born again. You don't need more reformation. You need that life. Oswald Chambers was, he loved to talk about Christian psychology. And he always said this, he said, Christian psychology is not the study of the Christian. It is the study of the life of Jesus, how it lives itself out inside of the Christian. Isn't that interesting? It is the constitution of Christ within playing himself out in your life that determines the destiny of your life. Whether your life will honor Jesus Christ or not. It is not trying harder and doing more that pulls it all off, making commitments in areas of your life that you need to improve. None of that stuff works. It is a believer's concentration on the constitution of Christ within. And when that concentration is made God plays his destiny out and it's never the life you choose it's not your best life now that you need it's his best life lived out and through you that may mean your death that may mean the suffering and loss of all things and you will count them as dung compared to knowing Christ but for Judas, there went the sob. How about you? Lord Jesus, uh, it's amazing to see your love displayed in the life of a man named Judas who to the very last moment held out the offer of his body and the bitter payment for his sin for Judas. The rejection of that kind of love is the most hideous of all sins, more, more awful than the, than the terrible sins of brutally murdering millions. And yet you love the most evil man that ever lived to the last very moment he could choose not to. You love us like that.